Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, y'all. I am so excited to tell you about today's podcast sponsor. I was introduced to Rovectin brand, which is a Korean beauty brand, a few months back. And being a huge product person, I'm a little bit gullible and love to try new products, but I was a little hesitant until my friend said that it absolutely would change my skin. And I love it. It has clean ingredients, vegan and cruelty-free, of course. But what's really fascinating is its story. Rovectin was started as a skincare line to help people who had gone through skin deterioration because of chemotherapy. But they also learned that the same formula was helpful for people with any kind of sensitive skin type. Rovectin comes from the Latin word reverti, meaning to go back to where it was. So as they focus on restoring the skin barrier to its naturally healthy state, I focus on restoring your body to its natural healthy state. So it totally made sense for me to fall in love with this. I feel like we're on the same vibe and it really worked. I use my favorite product is this multi-oil advanced formula and I've used it on my face. And I swear my face feels like a baby skin now. And what's interesting is I don't have to use as much oil as I used to because I feel like this Rovectin really helped me to restore that natural healthy state. It feels so good. And I also use a cleanser in a way that I hadn't really used cleansers before because it doesn't feel like it dries me out. So I would love for you to go try out Rovectin. I highly recommend it. You can find it at Rovectin, R-O-V-E-C-T-I-N.com. And use code LIT15 to save money. I can't wait to hear about what you think about Rovectin. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, wonderful friend, lit teacher, physical therapist, all of it, the bomb, Kristen Williams. (laughs) Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. You're so kind. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. All right. I think I'm going to kick it off today, right? Yeah. All right. So we got uh, a message from our friend Yana 
She says, uh, since September last year, I teach two back-to-back classes in a recently renovated studio that has a concrete floor. I started noticing after a couple weeks of teaching, my knees would always feel tender the day after. Something that has never bothered me before. I usually use a travel mat three millimeters thick to teach, but I have started taking a regular mat and also got some silicone yoga jellies to put under my knees. This has helped a lot. Um, both are slow flow classes, so we don't do plyo, which I'm happy about. There are some, there are quite some people uh, with pre-existing conditions, so they can't do um, too much weight bearing through the wrists or knees already. Do you have any tips, especially towards my students, when flowing on a weird surface? Any tips are welcome. Thank you. Well, I will launch off and say try and go to a different space. I mean, it's, um, the floor is everything. I mean, I would, I would actually go, uh, when I was first, I'd done some yoga retreats, but had not seen a lot of resorts and I would go and check them out. And if they had a tile or concrete floor, which a lot of them did in the, you know, if they're near a beach or something where wood would warp, I just eliminated that because even after, even a week of that is hard. And I'm such a proponent of using the ground and using ground reaction force. And for those of you who've taken from us, certainly have done our teacher trainings, we go into this a lot. But simply put, um, you're getting energy from the ground. If I was just walking literally on the earth, grass, ground, I'm getting a lot of energy up. It feels light. And there's a reason it feels light is because it's like, I get a return of that energy. It's not getting dissipated in a in a surface that is really rigid. And then the, you know, you go to a hardwood floor and there are different types of hardwood floor. Like when I practice at my mom's house, she has old hardwood, hard, hard floor. I think it's probably walnut. Um, and I do notice like a, a tiny bit of what would be begin to be a soreness, just a w- awareness. If any, if you're aware of it, it's probably too hard, right? Or you're just getting used to it. But for somebody like me, who's so used to being on my knees, on my hands, on my forearms, if I were to notice it, it is definitely the floor. So concrete is taking it to the next level. And, you know, it's been said uh, in, in research about ground reaction force, um, don't, whatever it takes, don't run on concrete. So you're not doing plyo, but if if you could change location, that would be amazing. Okay, so you, maybe you can't change the location. The next best thing is you do have to get a much thicker mat um, because you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot of the energy, but you can at least get some cushioning to the bones that are on the mat, especially the knees. The wrists are probably gonna feel it still. Um, it, they're not gonna feel the the hardness as much because you've got a, a little bit of cushion in there, but you're still losing that dissipated energy returning. So it really means that uh, re- uh, make your flows such that you are careful about you're on your hands and then get off the hands. So you're not on them for, you know, like as long as you might be on, on a regular nice floor. So you're going to have to probably... I don't want to say modify, but just change the flows around so that you're really balancing on your hands or knees off on. So there's not a lot of time on it because it's that, um, it's the amount, it's the duration of time that's going to be, that's going to add up. 
But definitely a travel mat is not going to work. I'm sure you already figured that out. It's way too thin. You need something a little bit more cushiony to, to give cushion, but know that you're going to lose some energy. So you might also just have to really slow stuff down and take stuff out and not make it as rigorous. Um, even on your feet, you're going to feel it. People can feel it in their knees. It's just such a horrible surface. So I, I understand that sometimes we don't have a choice, but if you can as the weather gets warmer or something, try and even go outside, find some kind of other surface. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I notice when, when we travel, I think a lot of hotels are made on their concrete and then they put just a thin crappy, you know, Berber carpet over top where I feel it are my wrists. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my wrists will be fine. I'm at home and, and I usually bring my, you know, I like the five millimeter mat anyway, just mm-hmm. it does. It feels better on my knees um, but, uh, what, what a difference when I play, I mean, one time practicing in a hotel, I can usually, and so I will, now that I know that I will, I will minimize my handstands. I will use fists just so I'm not weight bearing through that joint. It's just heavier. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the yoga jellies are great, but I love your idea of really Yana being the teacher, knowing that she's creating this for her student. Um, she is a lit teacher. She's one of our, um, actually our level one mentors and she's fully level two. So, um, you know, have fun with creating something like I have on the lit daily, the weightless and the wrist is created for people to wait, you know, and I have a no weight through the knees. So getting creative to bear less weight can be fun, a little creative challenge for your brain. Um, and then, yeah, you know, little tips would be just what she's done. The yoga jellies, they, people like those, um, gardening pads they like to put those down it's like a thicker foam just under the knees i have a my uh, my regular client i work with i've worked with twice a week for the last four or five years she always uses a yoga blanket and she has it down there and so then when i know when we're going to be doing like speed skaters or something i'm like hey move your blanket for what's coming next and she slides it over you know and then we put it and then she slides it back when i know we're going to be back down on the knees just because she is prone to getting a little bit of a uh, patellar tendon irritation on on that one of her knees so precautionary we always have that down and she's on a normal floor it's just her body is prone to that Um, I know on days after I might go for a long run where my knees might be a little bit cranky from just years chronic running patellofemoral thing that will might might uh, flare up I'm careful and I I might hover my knees instead so um other little tips besides that, I think those are your best bet. More padding. You think about, I think about surgeons who operating rooms that are concrete. I mean, every time I've watched a surgery being in there for just four hours, I'm like, oh my butt. So concrete is the absolute number one worst thing I think you can even stand on, let alone then doing any type of movement practice. So um, double up on your mat. Use the yoga jelly. It's going to make your, like you said, it's going to, you're going to lose some energy. It's going to make your balance challenging harder, but that's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, what people will find is actually moving into a handstand or stuff like that is tremendously easier because you don't lose, there, there's not this like kind of, think of a trampoline, how it kind of goes down and then returns energy back up. That's really good ground reaction force. When you don't have that, it's going to go right back up into the joints. But that also makes balancing easier. 
you know, ironically, it's like you're putting more pressure on your joints, um, but your balance can be a lot easier on concrete or, or a very rigid surface versus a, a little bit of a spongier surface. You're, you're going to have to, there's more proprioceptive demand. And so that could be something that's fun, but you got to really, again, just um, prepare the wrist a lot, take breaks. Yeah. And you were mentioning surgeons. I've worked with the the rowing team. A lot of them would work, you know, when they weren't doing their practice, they would work at Home Depot. And that was a big complaint is because Home Depot is concrete and they're standing. They might be walking around loading stuff, but it's the standing on that concrete. Their low back would bother them. The knees would bother them. It's It's really hard. So nurses, doctors, healthcare uh, professionals, we've, we've, I've spoken to them. You have too. It is really rough and there's not a, a great answer except that get, get off of that. And that's where you would do your movement practice and try and get as strong as you can and, um, take the load off the joints for sure. Well, okay. Next question. All right. A J3 in swim asked, do you engage glutes and up dogs? Too much conflicting um, messages regarding this. Plus my lower back is not great. Help. Yeah, this is, I must, I swear I must get this question, you know, over, I mean, at least five times a year. There, there is a lot of conflicting, um, especially on Instagram, social media, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. Do I use glutes? I absolutely do. I, I do it in Updog. I do it in, in Locust is another one people ask about. I do it in Cobra. You know, I think, and w- when you really look at these, a lot of them, they're saying, don't use the glutes because it affects the ankle. They'll say it, it, it rolls the ankle and it takes the ankle out of neutral, which that's to me it's it's just well when I, when I, as a physical therapist and i think of my years of practicing how many times do i see people come in from an ankle injury in yoga never like never really how ankle injuries in general so small compared to low back si joint where do i really care about in a in a pose that is an extended position i i care about the back you know so i what engaging the glutes does, you know, is it, it really fires up that back body and helps you to better control the amount of sag, i.e. lack thereof into your low back. It makes it more an active hip extension and takes it, you know, you become more in tuned. I, I also think whenever I fire up my glutes, I'm, it taps right into my core too. I'll get my belly and, you know, I'll get my, my pelvic, my pelvis more neutral because I mean, up dog feels good. I mean, I, I, I love up dog. I, I think up dog can be challenging, more challenging than Cobra in a different way. Um, so I like to kind of switch it up, but for me to worry about what's happening at the ankle and up dog, who cares? You know, if that's the reason why they're saying to not, I know why they say it a lot of times also is they say, um, that in in inhibits the amount of back extension you can get. I don't even know, but the, you know, it's just there are these old yogic philosophies. I think of why we're doing a pose the way we're doing it, which wasn't thinking in terms of sustainable biomechanics. That, I, and I know you, Laura, have created this entire method thinking that way, and that's what drew me to it as a physical therapist. Like, aha, finally, we, you know, it's something it's doing still the same beautiful practice, 
but in a, in a way that's better for the areas of the body that just get beat up and the areas of the body that are underutilized. People never use their glutes. I take any opportunity I can to get people to encourage those guys to fire. What do you have to say about that, Laura? Oh, so much. Um, well, first of all, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I've never heard it regarding the ankle, but that makes no sense because you, your ankle can do one thing and your hip can do another thing, you know, all the time. Uh, when they work together, like in triple flexion and triple extension, it's different. But this is, the glutes here are absolutely, they're imperative because more than anything, in addition to helping to extend the hip and, you know, therefore the spine, they're stabilizing the pelvis. Um, they're stabilizing the pelvis. So if we think about the attachments of the glute max, for instance, it attaches around the sacrum, around the ilium, which are the two sides of the pelvis. They at it attaches to the thoracolumbar fascia. Um, it attaches to the dorsal SI ligaments. That stands for sacroiliac ligaments. So when it is, and it attaches to, you know, through fascial um, envelopes, it attaches to the transverse abdominals. And it is, by contracting them, you are stabilizing the sacrum. You're stabilizing the pelvis. Otherwise, if you let that pelvis tip and you're not, because that's what would happen, the, the pelvis would tilt if you were not stabilizing via the, guilt, the glutes because gravity is on top of you, right? And then you're, then you're going against gravity basically with your spinal extension. And so the glutes not working, it's going to compress right in that lumbosacral area. It's going to compress those dorsal SI ligaments and all the many things that the other passive structures that are in there. And so to the argument like, oh, well, I won't get as deep of a backbend. Who cares? It's a, right. Yes. You're not going to get as deep of a backbend in terms of the visual because you're not sinking into the lumbosacral area. Anybody can get a deeper backbend by doing that, but that is not good for you. It is not good. That is a hinge point is just asking for trouble. So that argument just always pisses me off because it's like, yes, to what end? To what end? Yeah. You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. And P.S., where do you go after up dog? You have to lift yourself against gravity. Usually you're going back into down dog or something. And that you, if you're sagging in the middle, which you would be if you aren't activating your glutes, you're kind of pulling right up into a very inactive space. And that transition is also not as powerful, not as sustainable, and not as biomechanically sound. So anytime you're doing any form of preparation for backbending, getting hip extension, you have to use your glutes. I mean, the glutes are the main hip extenders. So that's bridge. Stop saying soften your glutes and bridge. I don't know who came up with that. It, As I have mentioned before, it probably came from some thread of truth, like somebody was overly squeezing right around the sacrum, you know, kind of turning their feet out and getting external rotation and compressing there. And so they said, but the answer isn't relax your glutes. It's activate them for hip extension, not the rotation component of it. And you can practice that by putting a block between your legs to help stabilize. So you get the adductors helping you stabilize so you can get into true hip extension. And that might be a lot lower for a lot of people. That'll be a lot lower. Be satisfied with that. Because you're powering yourself. You're not, you know, just going in the path of least resistance, which is usually, as we know as PTs, going into places that your body, um, we need to guard. We need to protect. We don't need to compress. And so, yeah, 
anybody that says that is just, they really don't understand the body. That's, that's what it comes down to. But if you're teaching the body, you have to know at least the basics. And, and the basics to me is if you're doing extension in your spine, you're going to need those glutes a lot. Well, especially, you know, people, it's inter- on, on the flip side, people will then come and they'll go through our training and let's say they they hurt their back sometime and then they, 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 they go to a PT who gives them repeated extension and they're like, they come to us and say, whoa, 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 I shouldn't do that, right? And we're not saying that back extension is bad and repeated extension as a therapeutic exercise by a, by a trained physical therapist is different. Don't forget in up dog, your thighs are off the ground, your knees are off the ground. So you're literally hanging like a sling if you are not engaged in those glutes. You know, so if I'm giving someone a McKen- whatever, McKenzie, you know, repeated extension, um, then maybe, I mean, maybe I'm not saying fire your glutes with that because it's a, di- it's a therapeutic difference where we're going for range of motion versus an actual, and the pelvis and thighs are supported. Um, so we're by no means are we saying back extension shouldn't happen. Um, it's just we're, what we're saying is, sagging uh, uncontrolled against gravity is not ideal on a body repetitive in a practice like yoga, where you could do that 10 times in a practice easily. And and in traditional yoga, it could be way more times. Um, That is not great for the body. And and be okay, by the way, with staying in Cobra. Like to me, Cobra is just as amazing it's just different, but you don't have to kind of also fight the effects of gravity on the pelvis. You can really yeah. work on the spinal extension. And like Kristen was talking about, PT exercises about pushing your hands into the ground to get extension is a different form that is usually some kind of disc rehabilitation where you are trying to help someone who's been really flexed in the lumbar spine um, get more extension there to get the disc back kind of in its alignment. Um, it's not that regular people can't do it either, but it's not something we do in a in a general yoga class. We're really trying to pull to like l- lengthen to, you know, like a slinky trying to lengthen the rib cage away from the pelvis and make more space for the lumbar spine, uh, which people need as well. So be, be really satisfied with uh, keeping your pelvis on the ground. Another great way of practicing up dog, um, if you have like this person's having low back is put your pubic bone and on a on a block, so you can start to feel how it would be like to lift the thighs away, but to have some support right at that kind of fulcrum area, and then really. And when we say engage the glutes, it's not like a hundred percent, right? I mean, so so don't read that as like, oh my god, I've got to like grip there. No, it's firming them enough that controls the tilting of the pelvis. And so if you haven't been aware of that, you're going to have to dial them up. If you're doing it, you don't have to dial them up more. Like you have to, you have to, it's you're answering the demand that's placed upon it and you don't have to do more than that, but you don't want to do less than that either because if the, any tilting of the pelvis means that you aren't, you know, collaboratively between the the front ab- abdominals, the deep front abdominals and the posterior chain, the glutes, that needs to balance the pelvis. So the ba- the pelvis doesn't tip. Flip it upside down in, in wheel, it's the same thing. I was saying this to our teacher trainees yesterday. If you're looking at a picture of wheel, you should be able to surf on that person's pelvis. That's how neutral it is. And then they're truly getting extension in the spine from there. If it looks like there's an angle 
uh, and you couldn't stand there without tilting, they're probably they're going into that lumbosacral area to try and access more extension. And anytime you have a, a change from one segment of the spine to another, those are the most vulnerable areas. It doesn't mean we are vulnerable. It just means be smart. Don't just move into them because they're easier to move into. You actually have to stabilize them more because they um, those are the areas that are more prone for injury. And um, certainly if you're having any kind of low back pain, you have to really stabilize there. All right, Great. we got uh, one more quick question. You want to ask that question? All right. So this is from our friend Julie Miller, and she says, I have a question for Q&A. I'm a huge believer in natural remedies and have recently done something new, a hair analysis. The results are fascinating. I have had right shoulder issues for many years, improved with lit, as you know. Can you please address this issue that came back from this hair analysis about my shoulder? It says, and she puts this in quotes, you have a bad case of RSI, which we looked up as repetitive stress inflammation with the bicipital tendon out of its groove and pulling ligaments and nerves down the arm. This can stretch the tendons and ligaments and even if they are put back in place, they can come out again easily as they are stretched. They can be tightened, end quote. Can you suggest anything to tighten this? Thanks and love both you and Laura for answering this. Well, and so Laura, yeah, yeah we were talking about this and we never heard a hair analysis for this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Neither I've heard a hair analysis like in forensic crime scenes for DNA, uh, toxology reports. Um, so I'm skeptical only because I'm trying to understand how that would give such a specific diagnosis, <laughs> like specific to the bicipital tendon. Um, I, but again, it's very new. I've ne I've never heard of that. But just understanding the hair and that it's, I I, don't, I I really don't comprehend how the hair would relate to one area so specifically. But so we, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, part of me is wondering if it's not just looking at the collagen content in the hair and then extrapolating, knowing I can see her saying, "Well, I have issues with my shoulder. Maybe her hair is showing some collagen." content discrepancies. And so they're, they're extrapolating that to, oh, well, your shoulder is loose or weak because your collagen and your hair is weak. Because mm. I agree with you. I don't know how it could be specific to the, the shoulder. I mean, I know that there are, there are a lot of Eastern medicine um, practices where you, that they will, like they will do something on your ear for your something in your abdomen, you know, and, and, and organ. And I don't pretend to understand any of that. And yet I do believe that it works because it's a, that's a meridian though. And that's like yeah. energy versus hair is essentially not alive, alive in that way. So yeah. that's where it's the <laughs> hair part that life. gets made. Like if somebody said, Oh, I poked you in your, you know, in your gallbladder and that has to, uh, that I could totally get behind. Um, but again, we are novices here. We're just so I, I agree. Maybe it's the collagen content. Um, and so for anybody who's listening, the bicipital tendon is the tendon of the, the long head of the bicep that comes up and inserts into a little groove in the humeral head and is only stabilized there or held into that groove through a little lateral ligament. And, you know, people will tear that ligament or, or overly stretch it. And so then the bicep tendon is kind of coming out of the groove and, and getting sheared. So then there's inflammation. So that repetitive um, 
diagnosis sounds totally reasonable. Um, The bicep tendon, anytime there is any kind of issue there, I always still look at the scapula, (laughs) you know, because if the scapula stability is happening, it will hold the humerus centrated and it won't be kind of gliding forward to pop that bicep tendon more out of the groove. So Julie, I would say, you know, you know all this, but be extra, extra aware of like when you're weight-bearing, probably weight-bearing, you might be pretty good. It might be when you're moving your arm that you have to um, stay in the ranges. Like I would stay in a sagittal plane, maybe not do um, as much in the, you know, abduction. Um, And then really think about moving from the scapula. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, well, I I mean, I agree with you completely. When we think about any type of unidirectional or multidirectional instability of the shoulder, um, it can be occurring at the biceps tendon. It can be occurring at the at the labrum. Um, you know, I know I have the same. I have some sort of instability on my right shoulder. I've talked about this frequently on the Q and A. You know, I heard and felt something tear several years ago, and um, when it flares up. I will pay more special attention to what is my scapula doing. And for me, it is more in the weight-bearing transitions that I feel it. It might bother me at end range pinchiness if it's irritated, but, you know, chaturanga lowering, even, you know, pushing back more the lowering. I really pay close attention first and foremost to what my scapula is doing because that's, you know, yes, the, the groove is part of the bone if if the of the humerus if the humerus is in the right spot so you know what are your what's your rotator cuff doing is is the humeral head in a position to to just allow that tendon to glide straight up and down versus slipping medial lateral which so what's the rotator cuff doing what's the scapula doing which is again all these scapular muscles these scapular stabilizers these rotator cuff humeral head stabilizers when you have any type of an instability in the shoulder. So their their statement, this can be tightened, I'm putting that in air quotes, to me is a big air quote statement. I mean, once you stretch something, yes, scar tissue can form and it can tighten some, but we know there's not much blood flow to a ligament. Now there's more blood flow to a tendon, but once you stretch a ligament, which, or ligamentous structure, it can only tighten down so much. That's why people who sprain, once you sprain your ankle once, you're more likely to sprain it again. Why? Because it is more loose. Once you strain an an ACL, once you tear or stretch it, it's going to stay loose because these things are not going to restore to their original uh, tension, period. (laughs) So what are the tips is, well, now the active structures need to do it, which is what you're saying, Laura scapular stabilizers. Um, I'm I'm throwing in the rotator cuff there as well. Funnily, you know, it's the bicep we're talking about. You know, the bicep, you can do bicep curls all you want. That's not really going to affect too much of what's happening at that bicipital tendon. Um, it, It just, what's unique about the bicep is it does come up and attach into your labrum. So it is, it is, we consider the bicep and the tricep, the fifth and sixth rotator cuff muscles because it does have a shoulder stabilizing role. So then when you're doing any of that, like you said, the dipping of the shoulders forward, anything that puts it in a provocative or more susceptible position, 
you know, you're asking for it to flare up, which Julie said has been helped tremendously by lit because we do focus on that. So keep doing, you know, keep doing your lit, keep modifying, like you said, with the open chain stuff, paying attention to the shoulder blade, keep paying attention to the centering of that humerus within the glenoid and through movement. And that's your best bet to strengthen the active structures because those passive structures can only quote unquote tighten so much. Yeah. The only other thing I would add to that that just came to mind is watch the position of your head. Because if your head, if your skull is not in alignment, your shoulder is going to want to follow that, right? So you can be doing all the great things in the scapula and then your head is out of, you know, out of its neutral position. And it just by that heavy load of our skull moving forward, the shoulder will follow. So watch yourself in your quadruped, in your plank, especially where is the head? If it's really low, that's going to just encourage that pressure to go into that area. So keep the front of the throat lifted up, maybe even do it more than you think you're doing it now and see if that helps to unload that area. All right. As always, we love your questions. Make sure that you write us with your own. Nothing is off the table. Uh, It can be about the body, mind, spirit, daily life, anything. Um, So write us at support at lityoga.com or you can send us a message on Instagram. We've got lara.hyman and kbwilliams99. Yay. We'd love to hear from you. As always, we are pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.